Well, good morning, church family. And if this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, uh, we just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Randy, and I'm privileged to uh, be the lead minister here at the church. And our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from uh, the New Testament book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. Uh, In your outlines, I've also included uh, the passage of scripture that uh, we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm reading from a translation called the English Standard Version. I also have our scripture reading this morning up on the um, screen, Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 to 21. The Apostle Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Each year, an organization called the Foundation for Civil Justice holds a contest. Um, Well, it's called the Wacky Warning Label Contest. You know, manufacturers have to really take care these days uh, because of our lawsuit-happy society uh, to really almost go overboard uh, to prevent from being sued for failure to inform. And so you'll get these silly warning labels on certain products. And so there's a contest to see which is the, you know, the silliest of these warning labels. And I've got a few uh, for your attention here. This is just a plain dust mask. But on this dust mask here, uh, there is an instruction sh- as if there needs to be a set of instructions with a dust mask and just the package. There's no tubes in this. There's no tank. There's nothing. Dust mask, package, instruction. This does not supply oxygen. Well, I'm glad that's clarified. What about the next one? Here we have uh, bicycles here. And here's the warning on the bicycle. The action depicted in this brochure is potentially dangerous. The riders seen are experts or professionals. Now, (laughs) typically experts or professional bike riders don't need training wheels, uh, as shown in the picture here. But even when those warning labels are present, if they're not prevalent enough, the company opens itself up to a lawsuit. And then what about the next one? Any of you pen cap chewers out there? Well, this is for you. This was included in a set of instructions. Who needs instructions for a pen and a pen cap? And here's the deal. The instructions on this pen were written in four languages, all right? And the, but the warning was included only in the English version. okay. And then the next. 
This, okay, so even though uh, this product is, is clearly, this product was clearly labeled on the package as a concealed carrying case in the ad, the company might find itself in legal crosshairs uh, uh, if it doesn't provide a warning that while this is made to look like a typical daily planner, it really isn't one, okay? All right? Wacky warning labels. And I was thinking to myself, now, okay, okay, this guy's just wanting to be funny. He's just, he's just wanting to be funny. Surely our culture isn't really like this. Oh, no, 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 it is. Case in point. This next slide that I want to show you. So this was a chair that Sarah got for uh, Christmas, right? Was it Christmas or birthday? You, she awarded it after Christmas. And uh, she wanted pearls, but she, you know, anyway. <laughs> she gets a chair, yeah. Do we have a class for that? <laughs> no, so here's the chair. Here's the instructions on how to put the thing together. After the thing has been assembled, get these instructions. Here, they're the warnings, okay? Warning number one, do not stand on the chair, Okay. Warning number two, do not use this chair as a stepladder. Okay. Here's the kicker. Warning number three, only seat one person at a time. (laughs) Oh, okay. Unless you're a hobbit, then you're in the clear. But think about this for a minute. The manufacturer assumes that I'm intelligent enough to be able to read this and then to put the thing together. So the, the assumption of intelligence is there for those two things. But the manufacturer doesn't assume the wisdom to use it according to its design. Thus, the difference between intelligence and wisdom You know, the semester is starting and our educational institutions have been launched and classes are in session at Parkland and the university and there's no doubt about it. There's going to be education. But will there be wisdom? Will there be wisdom? You see. Well, the Apostle Paul speaks to that question here in our verses in Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul calls us, calls the church that existed in the city of Ephesus, this city of of 250,000 in the ancient world. It It was a mega city by the standards of the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul is calling the church to wisdom. And, and as we look at these verses this morning, I'll just summarize uh, what we've read here in just one sentence. It constitutes our big idea, and it's simply this. God calls us to walk in the Spirit's wisdom as we worship gratefully and act humbly. God calls us to walk. This series is about walking. We've talked about walking in love, Last week, we talked about walking as children of light. And this morning, we're talking about walking, walking in wisdom. 
God calls us to walk in the Spirit's wisdom as we worship gratefully and act humbly. I just want to unpack that for us this morning, that big idea, uh, in three parts. The first has to do with walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. The Apostle Paul says in verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk. Monitor yourself, he says. You know, you've got, you've got your dashboard, your personal dashboard of your life. Take a look at the features, the meters on the dashboard. Monitor yourself. Watch yourself. Paul said to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Pay attention. And the opposite would be don't be careless. Don't be careless about your conduct. Don't be careless about your life's walk. Don't be careless about living in a way that is pleasing to Christ. God calls us to walk in wisdom. Do you hear, you hear, you hear why? He says, he says uh, make the best use of the time. Literally, buy the time. Redeem that nobody can buy time. No, you can't. You can't purchase time. But you can make the best use of the time. That's what he's talking about. Because the days are evil. We don't live in a morally neutral world, do we? You, you, you don't have to go looking for trouble. You put 40,000 people in a confined area, you do not have to go looking for trouble. Trouble's already there. Trouble will find you. You've got to be on the lookout. You've got to keep your radar up. Look carefully how you walk. And then Paul says, not as unwise, but as wise. Do you hear what, you hear what God is saying? God is calling us to be a community of wisdom. Because there's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. And what if we were the community where people could go to both inside and outside the church, where relational problems or challenges, financial problems or challenges, vocational problems or challenges, what if we could be the community, the go-to community, where both Christians and non-Christians could go to and say, I know where we can, I know where an oasis of wisdom exists. Paul says it's, it's in the church community. I want you to think about the challenges that's facing your life right now. Just think what my biggest challenge is, and you just think about what that is in your life right now. Is it in the realm of finances? Is it in the realm of your job? Is it a relational challenge? Is it a parenting challenge? Is it a time challenge? What's the challenge? What is it right now? You got it? Here's the deal. The answer to your challenge is in this room right now. And I'm not just talking about the pastor has the answers or even the elders. I'm talking about the people of God, the redeemed people of God, are to be the oasis of wisdom by which we go to for the answers to life's challenges. What if we were known for that? What if we were known um, for asking the best question ever? The best question ever. Andy Stanley has written a book by that uh, name. And 
I'd recommend it. The best question ever. The best question ever. In that book, he talks about a question which really needs to serve as a filter for every decision that you make in any of the realms that I've just mentioned, family, relationship, finance, the best question ever, which can serve as a grid through which all of life's challenges can just flow through. It's a question that's based on Ephesians chapter 5, those six words, not as unwise, but as wise. The best question ever. You know what it is? The best question ever is, what is the wise thing to do? That's the best question ever. Isn't that what Solomon prayed for when he took the throne of Israel? God said, you can have anything. What do you want? I said, I want wisdom. I want to know what the wise thing is to do. What is the wise thing to do? The best question ever. In light of my current situation, what's the wise thing to do? In, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing to do? In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? That's the best question ever. Sometimes when we're uh, decision-making, we ask good questions, but they're not the best questions. Sometimes we ask question, well, we ask a really good question. It's a very popular question that we ask when we want to make a decision, and it is this question. It is, is there anything wrong with this? Is there anything wrong with this? So we have an idea, we have an opportunity, and we want to know if, you know, we want to know what to do, and so we filter it through the question, is there anything wrong with this? And then what happens is we trot out the Ten Commandments, and we take this opportunity, we try to line it up with any of those Ten Commandments, it's like, oh, it's okay, I'm not breaking this one, I'm not breaking that one, all right, all right, all right, I'm fine, this is a live option. And while that's a good question, is there anything wrong with this? Immediately when you ask that question, you put yourself on course to asking another question, which is this. How close to the line can I get before it is wrong? See, the first question is, where's the line? The second question then is, well, how close to the line can I get? And the moment you start asking that question, then you just immediately go to the, to the very next question, which is this. How far over the line can I step without experiencing unmanageable results? How unethical, how immoral uh, can I be w- without having to experience painful consequences of that? How many times can I indulge in this addictive behavior before I get addicted? How many times can I do that, you see? And then, I mean, it's just almost inevitable what's going to be the very next question after you say, how far over the line can I step? And it's this question, how did I get into this mess? And if you ever ask that question, you really need to rephrase it. How did I get myself into this mess? You see? It all starts from asking the wrong question. See, an intelligent person knows the answers, A wise person knows the questions. And the the best question ever is, what's the wise thing to do? You're in a relationship right now with someone, and you know, you know in your heart you are not spiritually synchronized. You don't believe the same things with the same passion about core truths of Christianity, but you're just... 
you're just trying to rationalize. You're trying to talk yourself. You're doing, you're doing some creative reasoning. You say to yourself, well, this, we'll call this missionary dating. Really? What's the wise thing to do? You, you, you're looking at your finances. Part of the ministry of, of Financial Peace University is to get you thinking wisely. In, in, in light of the limited finances that I have, in light of the past, what's the wise thing to do? In light of the present, what's the wise thing to do? In light of the future, what's the wise thing to do? Every one of us here are predisposed to certain temptations. All right? Um, you need to be asking yourself concerning those temptations that, that you know, that you, have a, you just have an inherent weakness with. What's the wise thing to do? And wise men and women who have asked that question have gotten rid of their satellite dish. Or they've just unplugged from the internet. Are you saying that a satellite dish is, is sinful? No, I didn't say that. But I said for some, it's just not wise. What's the wise thing to do? Paul says, look, it's, the days are evil. Trouble comes looking for you. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, discover what the will of the Lord is. No, he didn't say that. He said, understand. In other words, face up to what the will of the Lord is. Listen, generally, when we ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? We already know the answer. We already know the answer. Or as someone said uh, in Andy Stanley's book, after he crashed and burned, he said, for years I refused to face up to what I knew in my heart was true. See? Face up to the truth of what God's will is. Nobody... Nobody plans to shipwreck their lives. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll shipwreck my life today. Nobody plans to do that. But instead, few people plan not to by putting the necessary safeguards in place. What a tragedy that cruise liner experienced this past week with lives lost. And Why did that happen? Read the reports read the article it wasn't because the gps was broken it's because of a series of small unwise decisions led to this cataclysmic tragedy and you know what that's exactly how we shipwreck our lives as well don't be foolish paul says understand what the lord's will is not as unwise but as wise. What is the wise thing to do? And if you ask yourself that question and you don't know the answer, here's what you need to do in light of what we've said so far. You need to go to a godly person. You need to go to someone who's mature in Christ and you need to ask them the second best question. And you know what that is? 
in light of my current situation, what do you think is the wise thing for me to do? You see. What we're learning here in these verses is that wisdom is, wisdom comes from somewhere. God wants us to walk in wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? And the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 18 that wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. God calls us to walk in the Spirit's wisdom. That's why he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, because wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, why does the Apostle Paul link the filling of the Spirit, the filling with the Holy Spirit? Why does he link that with this do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery? Why did he say that? Why didn't he say, and do not uh, overdo it with chocolate, for that leads to acne, but then be filled with the Spirit? Why, why, does he say, why does he say this about wine and drunkenness and all? Well, you have to understand the context. And the Apostle Paul is talking to Christians in a church that existed in this ancient city of Ephesus. And the city of Ephesus was not like a, a, a totally religious-less culture. Uh, We've talked about the temple of Artemis that was one of the great wonders of the world. Uh, There were other temples dedicated to Roman emperors. And there was another feast that took place uh, 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 concerning the god Dionysus or Bacchus, this Roman Greco deity. Dionysus was the god of wine. And Eugene Peterson writes how The god Dionysus employed in its worship celebrations dances and exciting erotic music as the god of wine. Intoxication with wine combined with dancing and music was the method of choice for getting to the desired state of enthusiasm, entheos, the god within. And so Paul is pointing to a culture that hosts these riotous, drunken orgies on display all around the believers. And he's saying, you know, not this, but this. There there is both a comparison and a contrast here. First, the comparison. Do not be drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. What happens when someone is inebriated? They come under the influence of the substance, don't they? And that's what Paul is saying here. We need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We need to be uh, under the domination and the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit lead. We need to let the Holy Spirit have his way, his. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. We need to let the Holy Spirit have his way in our lives. Paul would say something similar to this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, when he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That word walk in Ephesians 5 is actually different than the word walk in Ephesians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, when Paul says walk, walk by the Spirit, it means to keep in cadence. You know, like marching band or like a military cadence. Walk in formation. 
It's that the Holy Spirit is counting out the formation. The Holy Spirit has a specific form of march that he wants the people of God to conduct themselves by as they go from point A to point B. And keeping cadence, marching as a unit, that's what we're talking about. Being in subjection to the leadership. What is it the Holy Spirit wants me to do? We'll read back up with what we've read so far in Ephesians 5. The Holy Spirit wants you to imitate God. The Holy Spirit wants you to walk in love as Christ loved us. You see, the Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry. J.I. Packer says in his book on the Holy Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a spotlight ministry. The Holy Spirit never says, look at me, watch me, pay attention to me. Rather, the Holy Spirit stands behind our shoulders and shines the spotlight on Jesus and says, you keep your eyes on him. You watch him, you look to him, you imitate him. You love as he loved, giving himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Be under the influence and leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying, and that's what be filled with the Spirit means. But there's also a contrast here. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the contrast is this. In drunkenness, in drunkenness, reality is depressed, right? Because alcohol is not a stimulant, it's a depressant. You say, well, why do some people act really giddy? Because, because inebriation depresses that part of the brain that would keep you from being giddy. That's why, you see. So while drunkenness depresses reality, the Holy Spirit's Leading and influencing and domination clarifies reality. And you're able to see the way God sees. And you're able to interpret life's events the way God would interpret life's events. And when you're experiencing a season of suffering and difficulty in your life, the Holy Spirit's leading informs you that you're suffering not because God is angry with you or punishing you. It's because God wants to form you and forge you into a holy, fierce man or woman of the king. That's why. That's why James chapter one says, consider it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must, must must finish his work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, it's the Holy Spirit's leading that's doing that. And that's why Paul says, be filled. It's in the present tense. It's continual. It's not come to the WRC gas station and get topped off and we'll see you next week. It's 24-7. We're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And before I leave this point, I, I have to refer to one other scripture that Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Ephesians and Colossians are parallel epistles. Colossae and Ephesus are in the same region of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And some of what we read in both uh, letters, they just sound alike. And, well, 
Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So which is it? Are, the, to be filled with the Spirit or let the word of Christ dwell in us? The answer is yes. Be, decisively, yes. Because the because the Holy Spirit authored the Word of God. And if, if, if being filled with the Spirit means nothing else, it means to so conduct my life so that the Word of Christ is, is I'm feeding my life, I'm feeding my soul, I'm feeding my spirit. It's not just that I'm by rote learning lines, but I'm, I'm living the lines of God's Word out I'm becoming this person, imitating Christ like an actor on a stage. I'm become this person, you see, because I'm filled with the Spirit's wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. Oh, but here's the best part that I wanted to get to today. Let's all do that together. See, that's the best part. You see verses 18 to 21? That's one sentence. One sentence. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit by means of addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're filled with the Spirit continually as we worship gratefully and serve humbly. That's evidence of the Spirit's filling. You say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we doing that right now? Yes! That's exactly what, listen, you are not meant to be filled with the Spirit all by yourself. Oh, I'd like to tell you that the way, I'd like to tell you, I'd like to do some fancy interpretive footwork and tell you that the way to be filled with the Spirit right now on a day like today is to get on the plane, go down to Naples, Florida, and stand by the beach, go out on that 200-foot-long pier and just gaze in the sunshine and watch those dolphins just say, yeah. That's not what this says, right? This says that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and influenced and dominated as we participate in, in addressing and making melody and giving thanks and submitting to one another. It happens in community. You're not meant to be filled with the Spirit by yourself. It happens in connection with other Christians. And that may look like a house church. It may look like a small church. It may look like a medium church or a large church or a really, really large church. But it needs to happen in connection. You need other believers if you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and have him dominate your life. Got to have that. You know, over the course of a year here at Windsor, we'll have, I don't know, about 200 first-time visitors over the course of the year. About 200 first-time visitors, huh, Janice? And um, 
have conversations with, and those are the ones that we know. And so we'll have conversations with some. I'll have interesting conversations out here uh, by the Welcome Center with some folks who are new. And, um, and I'll hear stories. And, and I've heard over the years, uh, well, uh, one particular story, which sometimes happens over and over again, is I'll get into a conversation with someone who says, well, I, you know, I'm just kind of floating from church to church. I don't really, you know, want to be connected to one. I just kind of want to, you know, just connect with the, you know, the, the, the kingdom. I don't... Another person says this, my passion isn't for the local church. My passion is for God's kingdom. Okay? You ever heard anybody say that? I have. (laughs) Sounds really noble. Sounds really visionary. Totally off base. Totally off base. Really, think about it. Think about it. Let me explain. What if I said... Church family, my passion is not for my marriage. My passion is for marriage. Marriage. Marriage is what wing up to go. My passion is for marriage. I want the institution of marriage to be high and respected. I want to work for that. I want to pray for that. I want us to have courses and retreats and ministries about that. But I don't really feel called to hunker down in the humble daily realities of building a great marriage with my wife, Sarah. I'm not into that. My heart is about something grander than that. Now, what would you think if I said that? Would any of you say, wow, our pastor, he is such a wonderful leader. Survey says, you would say, what's he been drinking? Listen, if you care about the Spirit's filling, if you care about understanding the Lord's will, if you care about walking wisely, you need to be connected to a spiritual community. It's not an option. And you need to be the kind of person who can be counted on in that spiritual community. And therefore, you need to join that spiritual community. You need to join that church and tithe to that church and give yourself to that church and serve and participate with wholehearted passion. Speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. This place needs to, you know, in the foyer or here or throughout, if, if you're sharing with a person and they have an obstacle, why can't, we just, why can't we just stop and just pray about it right here, right now? Wouldn't it be wonderful if peppered all throughout this facility before we get in our cars and we go, if we just, if we take time to do that? See, that's what I'm talking about here. Singing and make music, making music to your heart to God. Stop grumbling and start giving thanks. And I'll give you the S word. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ, who himself submitted, and he became obedient to death even death on a cross. 
that is the wise thing to do. Amen.